It is Thanksgiving week, and, and I, uh, we finished our series that we were uh, doing previously. So we're going to take a, a break before we, uh, for a week or two before we enter into Christmas. I've got a new sermon series that we're working on that we'll do through <clears throat> December, through Christmas, that I hope uh, we'll minister to you. But today I want us to think about, in conjunction with Thanksgiving, to think a minute about the word gratitude. We think about thankfulness. We use the word thankfulness and thanksgiving a lot. But I want us to think about that word gratitude. And the definition of the word gratitude is it's defined as the state of being thankful. Of course, that's something we should think about for Thanksgiving. As, as a national holiday, I don't know if you know of any of the history of Thanksgiving Day. But it, it can be traced back in the United States all the way back as a national holiday to 1789, George Washington uh, tried to institute a national Thanksgiving Day. And, and it kind of came and went with different presidents throughout those early years until 1863. President Abraham Lincoln made it a federal holiday. And this is what President Lincoln said that Thanksgiving Day should be. It was a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent father who dwells in the heavens. That was from President Lincoln. So that's, that, is, that is what we will do this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving. But I want us to think about gratitude for a minute. And I, and I want to ask you, I want to talk to the parents in the house for a minute. Do you ever get frustrated with your kids when they don't seem to appreciate or be grateful for the things that you do and provide and give them? Is it just me? I hope not. Do, they, do, do you sometimes as a parent feel like your kids are just constantly asking for stuff? And they're never satisfied with what they have? And do you have those speeches in your house like I do? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> that, wow, look at, look at everything. There's, there's, a, there's a, 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 a picture that I saw on the internet that I thought of and and maybe 11 o'clock we get to see it, but it's a meme. Do you guys know what a meme is? It's, it's those pictures that you see on the internet that's got a photo, and then it's got uh, some text written, either like uh, on the top and at the bottom. Like, and they're meant to be satirical. They're meant to be funny. Um, but there was one that I saw that, that was one of the memes, you know, with the You guys will know, if you know what a meme is, you'll know what I'm talking about. The pictures with a white background, and it had the black text at the top, and it said, uh, kids. You never buy us anything. And then it said dad, and it had three pictures. And there was a dad standing next to the refrigerator going. And then the same dad standing next to the kid's bed going. And then the dad standing next to the big widescreen TV in the living room going. You know, it's like, do you not see all of the stuff that you have? Why are you constantly complaining or or begging for stuff and and whining about what you don't have you just get frustrated as a parent think about this for a minute married couples do you sometimes wish you got a, a few more thank yous from day to day for the things that that you do that sometimes you feel like get taken for granted husbands and wives talking to both of you like when, maybe when one spouse complains about 
one thing that the other one does. Do you ever have that thought that runs through your mind? It's like, well, if you get asked, well, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do this? Do, do you ever have the thought where, and you don't say it, but you have the thought, nope, I didn't get that done because I was doing all 10,000 of these other things. Nobody says anything about this stuff. It's like, you just, like, gratitude is something that we, that we long for, we desire. And, and do you ever just, do you ever just in general get, get frustrated with ungrateful people? When you see people in society, I'll be real transparent and honest with you guys. Some of the, some of the folks that, that were on our campus yesterday, sometimes it's a struggle in our flesh. To, to lovingly be Jesus to some of those folks. Because some folks just act like they're not really grateful for the things that you provide for them. The things that you give them. They almost act, seem entitled to it. They almost seem like, uh, wow, that, like you're, you're supposed to do this. And in ministry that happens a lot. I've heard, I've heard more than one person on occasion say to me, well you guys are a church. You're supposed to help people. Mm, and there's something, and there's something in your flesh that just wants to go. Sorry, uh, don't want to help you right now. You can just go home. Um, it, 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 it's just frustrating. Gratitude is something that that we that we all hunger for and desire. And sometimes, for for whatever reason, we find it difficult to communicate to give. Um, I want us to look in Luke chapter 7 at, at a story. Uh, this is another Jesus encounter story. Uh, but, but I want us to, to take a look at this story and see if we can put some things in perspective. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. And let me just read the story to you, and then we'll, we'll kind of unpack it and talk about it. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It begins, it says... When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Don't you love it? When the scripture says that Jesus answered somebody when somebody didn't say anything to him. Like those are my favorite. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her many sins, have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins. In verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I want us to pretend this morning that we are guests at this meal. We, have, we are there as Simon has invited guests to his home. We know that's his name because Jesus addresses him by name. In verse 36, we find out that he is a Pharisee. And we know we've talked about the Pharisees in recent weeks. So we know who they are and where they're coming from. Uh, We can can conclude that Simon, because he's hosting a dinner of this fashion, is probably a pretty financially stable guy to host a dinner like this with several guests. And the thing that you may not know that the text doesn't tell you about dinners like this, when there were dinners that were hosted by by Pharisees or important people, um, there were certain people who were guests to be seated at the table. But then their homes would be open. So even if I was not an invited guest, I could still come. And I was actually, we would have been actually permitted to have stood in the room, maybe around the walls, and observed and watched and listened to the conversation that was going on at the meal. Perhaps even if there was no room on the inside, we could have stood outside the walls and and listened through a window as a theological discussion was going on. And so this is probably the scene. Jesus drew a crowd everywhere he went. And so being a guest at Simon's house is not just the people who would have been seated around the table who would have been invited guests, but they're also would have been people from the community who would have come because they were curious. They wanted to hear what was going to be said. They wanted to hear the questions. They wanted to hear the answers. You say, well, why would he invite Jesus to come into his house like that in such a public fashion? Um, There's no reason for us to think that Simon isn't any different than any of the other Pharisees, that he had the opportunity to bring Jesus into his home. Can you imagine the... Uh, the, the competitive nature among the Pharisees because all of them had the desire to be the one to trap Jesus. To be the one to ask him the question that he couldn't answer. To be the one to catch him in a, in a disobedience to the law or disobedience to Rome that they, could, that they could pin on him. They were constantly trying to do that. So Simon may have seen this as an opportunity. I'm going to invite him into my house Because maybe I can be the one to catch him. Maybe I can be the one to go down in history as the Pharisee who took down Jesus. So he comes, Jesus comes to the meal and 
possibly after having just finished teaching at the synagogue. He may have been a guest of Simon. So you can imagine these other Pharisees, Simon, notable guests are seated around the table with Jesus. And they're asking Jesus questions and Jesus is answering their questions. But then in the midst of this meal, in verse 37, this, this woman appears. And we don't know a lot about who the woman is. We're told that she was a woman who lived a sinful life. And most scholars conclude that, that the sin in her life would have been uh, that she was a prostitute. And whatever her sin was, it was great in the eyes of the people. She was one of those folks who had lived a sinful life and everybody knew it. She was one of those people that when she walked in the room or she walked down the street, everybody knew who she was. Everybody knew what she had done. And it says that she brings this, this jar made of alabaster and it's full of perfume. Now this, this perfume is not cheap stuff. It very well could have taken most, if not all, of the money she had. In fact, the estimated cost of this perfume would have been around one year's income. That's a good conservative middle-of-the-road estimation. So in that day, if you make that equivalent to the standards that we live by, twenty dollars to $30,000 worth of alabaster and perfume. So this is not just something that she could run to the drugstore and pick up. This is, this is something of great value. And so as they're having their meal, it's disrupted by this, by this woman. And she, perhaps, maybe she just bursts into the home in the middle of the meal. Or maybe she comes prepared and she's one of those people who's standing outside the wall. And she's just waiting for her opportunity because she's come with a purpose. She's come to show her gratitude to Jesus. So the scripture says, says that she begins to cry. She approaches Jesus and, and, and as they reclined at the table, the picture, you, you have to, they, they didn't have high tables and chairs and stools like, like we do. They, the table would have been just elevated a few inches off the ground. And they sat on the ground. They would have sat on the floor, used maybe a pillow, propped themselves up with the table closest to their head, with their feet out away from the table. So you kind of picture all of these guys seated, like almost reclining, laying down on the floor with this table, propping themselves up with their heads toward the table and their feet out away from the table. And she approaches Jesus' feet and she begins to minister to him. She begins to... To, and she's overwhelmed with emotion and she begins to cry. So as she cries, her tears fall on his feet. And it says that she takes her hair down and she begins to wash and dry his feet with her hair. Which for a woman in that culture, this lady was already considered a harlot. But for her to take her hair down in a public place like that was shameful. A very shameful thing for her to do. But she does it. And she's taking care of Jesus. And she's expressing her gratitude. You say, well, why, what was she so grateful for? In verse 47, it tells us that Jesus says her, her sins had been forgiven. She had been forgiven much sin. Her, 
her actions were her unselfish expression of love and gratitude to Jesus. We're pretty sure that Jesus and this woman had already had an encounter. She had already met him. She had already experienced the grace and forgiveness of Jesus in her life. And this was her opportunity to come and worship him in gratitude. And what's so amazing about it is that she has no regard for the social barriers that she's breaking to get to Jesus. Her most important thing is to get to him and express her love and gratitude toward him. She doesn't care who else is in the room or what it's going to cost her. This is something I want us to think about as we read this story this morning. And I ask myself this question. When's the last time you were so grateful for the grace of God in your life that it hurt? When's the last time you thought about the goodness of God to you and it made your heart ache? I'm pretty sure that's what this woman was feeling. A love and a gratitude in the midst of knowing how unworthy she was. That it literally made her heart hurt because she was so grateful when we consider the cost of the forgiveness that Jesus brings to us how much are we willing to let our gratitude cost us we know what the forgiveness that he gave to us cost him what are we willing to let our gratitude back to him cost us? Charles Spurgeon once said, If your sin is small, then your Savior will be small also. But if your sin is great, then your Savior must be great. I think part of the reason that so many of us lack that experience of deep, almost mournful, longing gratitude toward God, that aching gratitude is because we haven't really grasped the depth of our own sinfulness. Because we've convinced ourselves that we're really not that bad. Nor have we grasped the depth of the cost it took to save us from our sin. Our salvation was not cheap, folks. The grace that was needed to rescue us for eternity was not cheap. But how often do we make it cheap? I think another reason that we, that we miss this deep gratitude is because we get so focused on what we don't have, don't we? We become so blinded to all of the things that we do have because we're so focused on the one or two things that we don't have. Folks, that's 
Satan's oldest trick. That is what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve are in the midst of perfection on earth. And God says, all of this is yours and you can have all of it as much as you want. There's one thing that I forbid you to have and it's the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't touch that one. But everything else in Eden was theirs. All theirs as much as they wanted and there were no restrictions. But you know what the tempter did? He got them focused on that one thing God told them they couldn't have. And that's where temptation was birthed. And then when, when your mind is focused on that thing that you can't have, you become blind to all of the other things that God has graciously, graciously given to you. So Jesus in this story compares Simon's lack of hospitality to this woman's prideless gratitude toward him. See, and, and what you see as you study and read as Jesus addresses Simon and he uses this woman as an illustration, all of the things that Simon as social norms should have extended to Jesus just out of common courtesy as a guest in his home, he neglected to do. It would have been, it would have been common courtesy for Simon to offer Jesus at least a bowl or basin of water to wash his own feet. When he came into his house. Now a truly um, respectful host would have had a servant come and wash the feet of his guest. Or the most humblest of hosts would have washed the feet of his guest themselves. Simon did none of these things for Jesus. A kiss of greeting was customary for anyone who came into your house as a guest. It would have been like a handshake today. Simon neglected that as well. And the anointing of his head with oil was an expression of concern and welcome to someone into your home. Simon neglected all of these. And in the way that this woman expresses her gratitude to Jesus, every way that Simon didn't serve Jesus, she did. But she went above and beyond with this radical gratitude, this radical public expression of love. I've read the story several times and studied it before. And as I was looking at it this week and, and thinking about Thanksgiving, I had this thought, what would happen in our lives if Thanksgiving became less about sitting down to a meal with Jesus as our guest and became more about getting on the floor and pouring our gratitude out to him in love and service? Y'all, I love food. I love everything that goes with Thanksgiving. But what if in my mind, in my heart, even in my life, if Thanksgiving became more than just sitting down at a table to celebrate all the great things that we have and inviting Jesus in for just a few moments to be a guest at our celebration? And what if my gratitude and gratefulness took me out of my seat before Jesus and got me on the floor before him in service in love in a way that I've never experienced before James 117 is one of my favorite 
<clears throat> passages of Scripture. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I want you to think for just a minute with me this morning, all of the things that you are grateful for. And I don't mean just those surface things that you're, that you're thankful for. I'm talking about this kind of gratitude. I'm talking about what are the things that if you really sit and think about them, you are so grateful for that it makes your heart ache. If you'll indulge me, I'd like to share a little bit of the things that I thought of. I had to ask myself that same question. I'm thankful that the Lord God of the universe knows me. <laughs> the things that I would think are good, the things that I know are evil about me. And that he chose to save me from my own desire to be good enough and follow the rules. You guys heard my story last week. <clears throat> I was that kid who wanted to do the right thing, who wanted to follow the rules all the time. And I'm so grateful that even at a young age, God reached out to me and saved me from my own goodness and rescued me from it. Because the truth is, I was just as lost in my goodness as the most vile person is lost in their evilness. I was walking around in the dark just like everybody else. But he saved me from that, praise God. I'm grateful that he called me to serve him. Which, by the way, he calls all of you to. He calls us all to serve him. He may not call everybody to be a pastor, but he calls everyone to serve in his kingdom. Boy, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that there was a point in my life at a, at a really early age that I started feeling sorry for myself and I thought, you know what, I don't know that I'll ever find anybody to really love me. And then, he, and then he showed me that there was a girl that had been there since fifth grade the whole time. And he gave me a, an amazing, amazing wife whom I love more than anything on the planet. Mm. I'm grateful that he's given me three beautiful boys. They're all so different. So different. But each one of them teach me something. They all teach me things about God. And I'm so proud of them. I thought I'd be able to get through this a little better. Um... I'm grateful that he's taking care of another one of our babies in heaven. And that, that I'll get to see them. And know them. Just like they know Jesus now. 
That's, oh, I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that he's given me a, a, a beautiful family of people who love me unconditionally. My, my parents, my, my mom, my, my stepfather. I'm so grateful. And even in the brokenness of, of my family, that he's blessed me with even more people to love me. People who filled in gaps in my life. that I didn't have to want or need for, for anything. And that through my marriage and through my relationship with Kim, he, he's given me an even bigger family of people that I love dearly. I'm grateful that he called me to student ministry. <laughs> I love it. The great, and some of the greatest years of my life that I've spent here with this church family have been in student ministry. And some of you guys, I look out, and you are products of what God has done through our student ministry. And I could not be more grateful. Not just that I got to watch you grow up and be a part of your life in student ministry, that I get to be your pastor now. That almost is too good to be true, and it's almost too much for me to handle. Kim and I said often, and it didn't take us long after we came to Lindale, that this became our home very quickly. <laughs> we both grew up in different churches. But it wasn't long after being here that we felt more like this was home than anywhere else we had grown up. God gave us you. You are one of the gifts one of the greatest gifts that he's put into our life and into our family. And we get to grow deeper and deeper in a relationship together. I'm grateful that God believed in me enough to make me your pastor when I didn't believe in myself. I told God he was wrong so many times. But I'm so glad that he didn't listen to me. And uh, I'm grateful that I'm grateful that you had enough faith in me to give me this responsibility. I'm grateful that you believe in me that much. I'm grateful for the staff of people that we have at this church. The people I get to work with. Day after day, week after week. In my earlier years, we had a great staff of people that I grew to love so much. But I'm so grateful. And I think what I see is that God is rebuilding another staff that is going to be just as amazing as the one we had before. He's doing something new. He's, he's creating, he's preparing us to lead you to something that this church has never been a part of before. And I'm so grateful for them. So grateful for their families. For the relationships that we can have together.
I'm grateful for the leadership of this church. I'm grateful for the men, our deacons who lead this church and lead it in service. I'm grateful for the ministry leaders. If you, the ones who are head over all of the ministries that we have here, and you pour your hearts into it, we could never do any of the things that we do on our own. As capable as we as a staff want to be for you, as capable as I want to be for you, I could never do, we could never do alone what we do with your service and your help. And all the volunteers that pour so much into the life of the church. Sometimes we don't do a great job of telling our volunteers just how grateful we are for them, but folks, you are so important. I'm so grateful that, that God has let me see, literally watch families grow up here. When I tell other people in ministry the gift that God has given me here to allow me to be here and to allow me to see literally families birth into this church, to see kids go from awkward, weird middle schoolers to married couples and from married couples to parents and from parents to full families and families who love and serve our church when I get to tell them that I, I've, I've had the gift of being able to watch that they're blown away because it's not normal so this morning what I want to say to you is that before you sit down with your family on Thursday to a table full of way more food than any of you will ever eat. Before you, before the turkey kicks in and you sit down to fall asleep in front of the TV as you're watching the Bears and the Lions or the Falcons and the Saints. And before you get in line Thursday night to get that Black Friday deal that you're going to be going after. You already have plans. You already know what you're going to be hunting. Before you do any of those things, just stop. Just stop for a moment right here and ask yourself, am I really, really grateful? And if your heart hasn't ached in gratitude for a long time, I hope maybe this morning it will.